Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. I'm John Byrne with Poets and Quants, and with me today, as always, are my co-host, Caroline Diarte Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, and Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab. We want to talk about the most difficult MBA program in the world to get into. This is a school that routinely rejects, turns down 96% of the, well, sorry, 94% of the people who apply to it. The acceptance rate tends to hover right around 6%. Sometimes it's a little bit lower, sometimes a little bit higher by a fraction. The class average GMAT score tends to be the highest in the world for an entering MBA class. GPA is also the highest in the world. And the school is the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Now, it's often said that there is a so-called X factor that's required to get admitted. In other words, you can apply with a 780, a 3.9 GPA, and you can come from Princeton, Yale, and Harvard, and you're not going to get in unless you have the X factor. Now, what is the X factor? Now, that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast. Some people say, rather cynically, I'll point out, that the X factor is you either have to be a victim in life who's overcome the obstacles that have been placed before you, or you have to be a person who's helped victims. Maria, is that true? You know what's funny, John, is that I've heard this this line many times, and I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of applicants have heard it as well. And the problem with it is that I think it leads to some pretty inauthentic applications. I think there are some people out there who are genuine, who genuinely have overcome incredible odds. And there are people out there who are doing incredible things to help people who are less fortunate. But there are also people in the middle who are just like, look, I want to work in private equity or I want to start a travel app. And I think that there's now this pressure because of this rumor that has been circulating that some people are like, oh, no, now I have to pretend that I care about other people. Oh, no, now it, you know, it's six <laughs> months before the deadline. You know, the deadline's in only a few months, and I, I've never done any community service. So now let me start doing 10 different things of community service because they're totally not going to see through that. <laughs> right? And so I think what all business schools are looking for is people who are fundamentally – Okay, maybe good people is too high of a bar, but at least people who aren't going to go to jail, right? Like, I feel like that's like the minimum. As long as we think that you're not going to go to jail and hopefully you're like a pretty nice, decent person, um, I think all business schools are looking for that, not just Stanford. And I do think that that, uh, while I have certainly worked with people who are victims or who help victims, I don't think it's a requirement. And I think it's it's actually a damaging rumor when people try to pretzel themselves into pretending that that's who they are when they really aren't. And there's that's fine. Yeah, that's a really good point. Caroline, is there, in fact, in your view, an X factor of some kind at Stanford? Well, I, I think that the people who do get in do have something special about them, but I don't think you could pin it down and say that it's one thing or, or two things specifically. And, you know, from my experience, you can never fully predict who's going to get in, right? And, and partly that is because of that competition that you mentioned, John. Someone can be absolutely amazing um, and they're just up against other people in, in a specific applicant pool. And there may be someone who's very similar to them, but slightly better in that particular round, in that particular year. So there is no formula unfortunately. But I would say that I do think that Stanford particularly takes the time to look at people's motivations. And I do think that they 
do a good job at picking out people who want to do well as as well, who want to have a positive impact, right? Not not just do well for themselves, but they do want to be part of positive, some positive change and driving positive change and leading positive change. And I, I do think that that is evident in a lot of the people get in and also my experience of the, the Stanford alumni community. Um, you know, my husband graduated in 98. Um, a lot of his friends are, are his classmates. And now that we live in, in the Bay Area, you know, we've reconnected with, with a lot of those people and, and just, you know, the Stanford alumni network more generally. And there's definitely, you know, I, I would say there's, there's something that they have in common that is more than just ambition and, you know, brilliant minds and the ability to execute. It's also having a positive motivation to, to want to have positive impact on the world. And I, I think that's very evident in many of the students and alumni. That's really interesting what you say, because I happen to think that the best leaders, whether they be leaders in the nonprofit field or in the field of business, have an optimistic nature to them. I mean, they're generally upbeat. They're generally positive. They generally believe that things can be accomplished. And what I hear you saying there in the friends and classmates of your husband is that is an element that they truly share and that Stanford really looks for. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But this sort of, this belief that, you know, and especially in times that today can be quite dark and depressing. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but they, you know, they're looking for people who, you know, are optimistic and, and believe that they can have a positive impact and, and want to be part of that, that story. And I think it's also interesting that, you know, Stanford has quite a different application from, from some other business schools and also has a different applicant process, um, sorry, interview process than, for example, Harvard. So Harvard, you know, you have essentially 29 minutes and it's a very structured format, whereas with Stanford, you're meeting with an alum and it's often a much more sort of free-flowing and longer conversation. And I think that, to me, that's also part of, you know, Stanford really wants to sort of, you know, get to know you as an individual and take the time to do that. And you can't necessarily always do that in a structured 29 minutes. Yeah, true. And the other thing Stanford has is the most iconic essay question or essay prompt of any business school. It's what matters most to you and, and what why? do you make of that, Maria? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what matters most to you and why? Exactly. Well, so, so that question is certainly iconic. And I, I did just want to want to highlight that I do think that Stanford's essay uh, set of essays, right? You can't just look at one by itself, but they do have multiple essays. I think right. that their essay set as a whole really gives applicants a chance to shine, especially those who have had you know, who maybe who on the surface might not necessarily have the platinum, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Goldman Sachs, 780 on the GMAT. Like there are so many opportunities in that application to really describe who you are, where you've been, where you want to go. There's no other application. And I, for example, I, you know, I'm an HBS alum and I love the Harvard essay, but even Harvard doesn't give you as many opportunities. So I do think that Stanford, I think they really walk the talk in their application in terms of saying like, we're looking for people who want to change lives, change organizations, change the world. And they give you the opportunity to to show them and to explain to them that you actually are that person. And I'll just add on to Caroline, and I'll, I'll get to the what matters most question in a second, but I'll just add on to, to what Caroline said is, is I've noticed that it's not just a positive motivation to, to, to do good. I think most people who get into Stanford have in fact brought receipts along those lines. Like they, mm. they've actually 
taken steps instead of saying, you know, sometimes I've read application essays where people are like, well, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but well, I haven't really done much yet, but that's why I need the Stanford (laughs) MBA. Like once I need you guys to teach me how to be a leader. And I'm like, no. No, no, you should have you should have already been doing this since, you know, pretty much age six. Um, And so and so, you know, anyway, so I I do think that they they definitely look for for evidence that people at a minimum have already changed lives. I think that's sort of table stakes. So through either mentorship or guiding others or leading an organization to do good things, not necessarily a nonprofit organization, but it could be a student club, it could be an athletic team, something like that. Change the organizations. I think most people who apply and who get in have done that. And I think many have actually started taking steps perhaps small, perhaps modest, but within their spheres of influence, they have done what they can to, in fact, start to try to change the world. And so for me, that's what separates them. And then for what matters most, yeah, that's sort of like the iconic, that's the question that I think gives people the most amount of stomach aches uh, and headaches anywhere. But I do think that it's a, you can, you can really tell when a what matters most is being, what I love about the question is that you can really tell when it's been put cynically together. Yeah, it's so obvious when someone is just like, "I'm trying to tell you what you want to hear, Kirsten Moss," because I think I can fool you, <laughs> and you can't. So, <laughs> yeah, what is a good answer to that prompt? Because I'm thinking that, in some level, it almost forces you to to want to say even more than most ethic essay questions, which all have this problem, to want to say what you think they want to hear. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> don't do it. I don't like fall that. into the trap. No, don't fall into that trap. I think you have to, You like I said a second ago, you have to bring receipts, by which I mean you have to have evidence. You have to have concrete evidence. So if you say, what matters most to me is turning the world into a beautiful rainbow of equality and <laughs> peace for all. That's great. No, pr- great. I love it. But so, okay, what have you done to right. make that happen? If that really is what matters most, if something truly matters most to you, you will have demonstrated it time and time and time again in your life through the choices that you've made and through the choices you haven't made. So I'll give you a quick example um, from myself. I did not apply to Stanford. There's this sort of automatic assumption sometimes that if you go to Harvard, you must have applied to Stanford. I did not for many, many reasons. One of them being that I wanted to be on the East Coast for, for personal reasons. But if I would have written it, you know, sometimes people like to say, well, family is what matters most to me. You know, my family matters most. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I have to say, if I, if I would have applied, I would not have been able to write and say that family is what matters most. And here's why. When I was working in Miami and I got a phone call that I had been offered a job in Hong Kong, that someone in like HQ was like, mm, maybe we should move this girl to Hong Kong. And they were like, but we need to know right now because otherwise we're going to open up the job search to a wider pool of candidates. I accepted within 0.3 seconds. I was like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I had never been to Asia before. I had never set foot in Asia, anywhere in Asia. I I really didn't. I honestly had to look up where Hong Kong was. It's embarrassing to admit, but it's true. But I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm taking it. I'll sell my furniture. Two weeks from now, great. I'm on a plane. And so I can't really say that family is what matters most to me because when I called my mom that night when I got home from work exhilarated to tell her about this amazing, life-changing, <laughs> once-in-a-million opportunity that had been given to me, she started crying. Uh... And she was like, you're going to move to the – you're already in Miami, which is far enough away from me. Now you're going to move to the other side of the planet. How could you do this to me? <laughs> and so I cannot say – would that fam- family matters to me? It sure does, but it doesn't matter most because when that diff- when that big decision moment came, when that big inflection point, that big crucible moment in my life came, I did not prioritize family. Whereas another person 
who does, they would have said, oh, thanks so much, but uh, I just, I can't leave my family. I can't move to China. Sorry. So I, I'd like to use that example as one of many of like, okay, if it really matters, if something really does matter most to you, you will, it will be your North Star, even in moments of duress or sort of these big decision inflection points. Right. Caroline, what kinds of what matters most answers have you sort of guided through? I mean, there's a huge variety. And I think, you know, Maria is absolutely right. There is no one right answer. There's, and there's no particular answer that they're looking for. What they're looking for is, you know, what is true for you? What is your motivation? What is, you know, a story that is authentic to you? And that's what they care about. It doesn't have to be a specific topic at all. And, you know, as Maria said, if you sort of try and regurgitate what you're second guessing they are looking for, you will fall flat on your face. And so, you know, that authenticity is super important to Stanford. And I think also some humility. I think that candidates who bring some humility to the process and, you know, obviously have achieved great things, but also have that self-awareness to understand, you know, the opportunities for development and where they have done well and where they have failed. I think that goes a long way with, with Stanford as well in particular. How is it, and this is a mystery to a lot of applicants, that someone could be accepted to Harvard and not Stanford, or someone can be accepted by Stanford and rejected by Wharton or Chicago Booth or NCIAT. How does that happen? Well, the schools are looking looking for different things. And I think sometimes with Harvard and Stanford, I get the feeling sometimes that they will reject someone who is fantastic because they think that they are a better fit for Harvard or Stanford, the other school, uh, mm-hmm. and that they're more likely to accept that offer. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that that goes on as well. They, they see someone who looks like, you know, the perfect addition to the HBS class, then Stanford may be less inclined to, to accept them. I also think that admissions, it's not a linear thing where like the rankings were automatically, if you get into school rank number three, you're automatically in at school rank number eight. I've had people who get rejected from Kellogg who then go on to go to Wharton. I've had, you know, like it's it's not like a linear, people tend to think like, oh, if I get into school ranked X, I'm definitely getting into school ranked X plus something, right? I'm getting into a lower ranked school no matter what. And it really isn't. The schools really are looking for fit. And I know that that's like one of those frustrating terms that applicants hate to hear because it is so amorphous and it is so difficult to pin down. But it's true, right? I mean, I think admissions officers want to know that if they make you an offer, that there is a significant chance that you will take them up on that offer. And so, yeah, I agree with Caroline. I've, I've also seen people a lot frequently who get into either Harvard or Stanford, but not into both. I've seen I've seen people get into both, but it's it tends to be one or the other. And I and I, and something else is that I've seen people who only get into Stanford out of the entire M seven or M five or top five or whatever it is. I've 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 had that happen several times, where no one else lets them in, but they get into Stanford. <laughs> okay, you both of you got to tell me the truth. How many times in the opening conversation that you might have with a would be applicant, and they immediately say, "I want to apply to Stanford. It's my first choice." Do you roll your eyes? of the time. (laughs) Isn't that an impossible client to have? I I think it's true with a lot of the M7 schools and, and, you know, particularly Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, the candidates are applying there because they think they should and not necessarily because they have this passion for the school. And that comes through, as Maria said, the schools 
do care about how motivated you are and whether you have this sense of, you know, whether, whether the community really resonates with you, whether that's something you're genuinely excited about. And that, that shines through in the written application and it certainly comes through very clearly at the interview stage. So what's your general advice? If you want to apply to Stanford, what should you make sure you do? Maria? Oh, there's so many things. I think one of the things is don't try to game what matters most. Don't try to don't try to do some sort of game analysis, like game theory analysis where you're like, okay, I think Kirsten's going to want to hear that I'm a do-gooder. So therefore, I'm going to say, like, no, really, really do some reflection. And again, I, I do think that if you're at a complete loss, you know, ask yourself in those, in those, when I've made those big decisions, what drove those decisions, right? Someone for whom, for example, to go back to the family matters most example, someone like that might choose to attend a college that is down the street they, they might have gotten into a very fancy university on the East Coast, but if they're from Texas, let's say, I, I encountered this a lot with like you know people of Hispanic descent that I work with. Let's say they're from Texas, they get into a Yale, but because family does matter most to them, they go to Texas A&M. And so that sort of thing, like really examine your choices instead of thinking about crafting or inventing or manufacturing a what matters most. Ask yourself, well, well when the rubber hits the road, what what does drive me? What does push my decisions one way or the other? And then I also want to say, I think that the what matters most is not nearly as important as the rest of the essay. So sometimes people really beat themselves up and they'll spend days like, you know, agonizing over like, should I say that listening to others with an open mind is what matters most? Or should I say that? And I'm like, it doesn't like the way that you phrase it isn't what it's the substance of the rest of the other, you know, the other 645 words of the 650 word essay, that's what's going <laughs> to move the difference, whether or not you phrase it, you know, should I say that friends matter most or family matters most or friends that are such good friends, that they're kind of like family, like, ugh, look, just that, <laughs> don't beat yourself up over that. Don't die, you know, spend four days not sleeping over that. It's more about the substance for me. Caroline, your advice. Well, um, I mean, having a good pedigree does help, right? Mm. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, they have the highest GPA, the GMAT is mouthwateringly high. A lot of people who go to Stanford do have fantastic blue chip credentials. And, and, you know, you may recall, John, that we did this deep dive analysis that, that my colleague Max Simmons was leading. And, and you know, there's, there are, there's a very high proportion of, of Stanford students who have blue chip credentials. But something I would add to that is that they're not always coming directly from Goldman, MBB, etc. We also see a lot of candidates who maybe they started at a blue chip firm, but they've gone on to do something different after that. And then they've applied to business school. And I think often those candidates who have something a bit different about their story, as well as having some blue chip credentials somewhere in their resume, they have something extra to bring to the table and just a more interesting story. And, and that, I think, can often help them stand out. So I think long-term planning helps to think about, you know, how you're going to manage your career. Because for some people, you know, just staying for the duration at a top firm and then applying to business school, if you're hoping to go to Stanford, may not be the best, always the best plan. It may be better to do your couple of years in private equity or investment banking and then 
and then go and do something different. And, and that may give you, that, you know, obviously something that you're passionate about and that makes sense for your career path and also maybe links to something that, you know, you want to do post MBA, but that can often give you a more interesting story in an incredibly competitive applicant pool that, that will help you stand out. Okay. So there you have it. Now you know how to get into Stanford. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> and you don't have to be a victim and you don't have to help victims, but you do have to have receipts to apply and you have to be upbeat, positive, can do. And obviously you have to have the stats and the status to some degree to make it over the hurdle. Although, Marie, I do like what you said about if you do choose Texas A&M over Yale for family concerns, actually, that could be to your benefit if family is what really matters to you and why. Yeah. <laughs> the, Stanford, oh, the Stanford app gives you that opportunity. It's one of the few that really gives you that chance to tell them who you are. Indeed. Maria and Caroline, thank you as always. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants on our Business Casual podcast. Thanks for listening.